morning. If you're visiting with us for the first time, please stay. <laughs> well, attractiveness. This is Cookie. You say hi to Cookie? Yeah. So, to start us off here, I need to ask you all to squeeze in a little, if you wouldn't mind. Uh, we're really full. If you would mind filling up empty seats. If you don't, I'll, I'll send Cookie. Right, Cookie? All right. Cookie, you're done for the day. Go. Say bye to Cookie. No, you go there, Cookie. Go, go, go. All right. Well, good morning again. Wasn't that a fun beginning? Um, there is seats here on the front. There's five, six, seven, multiple seats here on the sides and here on the front also. Um, we're getting really full. Ed, it's great to be with you this morning. What a beginning, huh? How do you follow that? So second week of who wants it all. Last week we talked about success. Today we will talk about attractiveness. And isn't it true we all want attractiveness? Anybody here doesn't want to look good or attractive? No, see? Good, this message is for all of you, all of us. Excellent. <laughs> Anybody here doesn't want to be attractive? Okay, see? It's for you too. Excellent. You know what? Before I start, I would love to pray with you. Is that all right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for a full house. Thanks for everyone that you've brought here. And uh, I want to thank you that, uh, that we can have fun here, that it's okay to have fun at church. Lord, I just pray that, that uh, we would focus on you now. Pray that you would speak to our hearts about what true beauty is and what is beautiful and attractive in your eyes. And uh, so I just pray for your presence here this morning and for your spirit to speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. That poll, by the way, was very interesting. Um, I think, can we put that back up? There we go. Smart and ugly. This must be the academic crowd. You, you students who slept in during the first service because in the first service, it was runaway victory by fun and self-absorbed. Um, so smart and ugly this time. Good. And rich and boring. Very, very low. Good. Excellent. Good job. Thanks for participating in that. But we all want to be attractive. I think that's why we picked this as one of the four topics for these four weeks of things that we all want. We all want to be successful. We all want to be attractive. We all care about our appearance and, and how people respond to our appearance. And I think we... We all learned that at a really young age. I think from a, from a young age, we, you know, our parents dress us nicely and, and pick out the clothes. We want to look good. And Anybody here this morning, who, who came here this morning not actually thinking about and putting some, some thought into what you were going to wear and what would look good on you? You did not? I can't tell. So good. It, it comes natural. That's good. I, I thought about it. And I'm thinking, well, I'm going to be up there tonight. What am I going to wear? What's, what's going to look okay? Well, we all think about that, don't we? And again, we, we, we learn it at a young age. We're bombarded with these messages of what's attractive and not. And at a young age, we start looking in the mirror. And, and I remember literally at a five-year-old, when I was looking in the mirror thinking, is anybody ever going to marry me? So literally, I had big, thick glasses. Yeah, you should see pictures. I'm not, I'm not kidding. And it, it, we, we, we start thinking that way at a young age. What looks
looks good? What about my hair, my body, my, my clothing? What do I wear? How are people going to respond to me? And then it goes into our behavior too, doesn't it? I mean, we start acting a certain way because people respond to us a certain way. And that becomes part of, of our appearance, our first impression. And let's be honest, don't we all kind of size people up first by, by that first outward impression. We, we see people and, and almost immediately we have some kind of opinion or judgment on somebody based on what they look like, how their hair is done or their, their clothes. It's, it's part of, part of our, our nature. It's in us. It's important to us. And the question is why? Why is our appearance and the appearance of others so important to us? It is so important that Americans, so not me, you guys, okay, so this is on you, <laughs> You guys spent $8 billion a year on beauty alone. $8 billion bucks. That's a lot of money. It's actually, if you divide it among the 310 million Americans, it's about 2,500 a person, which doesn't, doesn't sound a whole lot maybe. You know, some of the husbands here say, what, that's much all you spend? But, but see, that's the average. That includes every little baby all the way up to, the, the, uh, to very old people. Everyone on average spends $2,500 on beauty. Yeah, and cell phones can be turned off at this point. Thank you. <laughs> it's important to us. It's important enough to be really one of the major factors in our choosing a partner, isn't it? Now, of course, yeah, yeah, we all care about character. But let's, let's be honest here. Anybody here married and married a person they didn't find attractive? Don't, no show of hands, please. <laughs> I'm, I'm completely booked with marriage counseling. Okay, but... It is, it is part of what first attracts us to somebody, isn't it? It's important. It is important. Often becomes too important. Actually, my grandfather had this figured out a long time ago. He told me, he's 86 now, I believe. And he told me years ago, about 20 years ago, you know, when I started being of the age where I was looking for a partner, and, and he always says, Christian, it's not all about beauty. And he gave me this poem. It, it's a German saying, and it rhymes in German, not in English. But this is what he would always say, literally. He said, Christian, beauty will fade. You will forget love. But what are you going to eat? See? My grandpa, did you get it? My grandpa had the priorities straight. It wasn't all about beauty. But can she cook? <laughs> that's, that's what's going to carry you through in the long run. See? He had it straight. He was a man of God. He is. But again, our looks are our first impression. And what's the saying? You never get a second chance to make a first impression, right? So it's important to us. And beauty isn't, isn't all bad. Beauty is important to us and it's, and it's okay. And I think it's actually our, our fascination with beauty, our desire to be beautiful and look for beautiful things. I think it's part of how God has created us. I think God is a God of beauty, now, beauty isn't all there is, and we will clearly get to that later of what God's, God's definition of, of real important beauty is, and it has nothing to do with the outside, but he has created us to enjoy beauty. I mean, look at creation. Is God a God of beauty? Just go take a trip up into the mountains right now in the fall and look at the colors. Go, go deep sea uh, diving or whatever they call it. Go into the ocean and even in the hidden places, the beauty God has created. And he's created it for you and me to enjoy. So God is a God of beauty. Beauty is something good. Our desire for beauty is not bad 
in itself. In fact, I think our desire and fascination with beauty has led to arts and beautiful creations that, that we have come up with, whether that's paintings or sculptures. Art is inspired by our desire and pursuit of beauty, and it's there for us to enjoy. In fact, the Bible in multiple places recognizes and talks about people's beauty. Again, it's not the most important thing, but it recognizes it. I just want to give you a few examples. One is in Genesis chapter 12, verses 4 and 5, where Abraham's wife is described, his wife Sarah. Abraham was the guy that God chose to, to build his nation of Israel through and, and to bring Jesus through. And, and uh, this is what is said about Sarah, Abraham's wife. In Genesis 12, when Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she was very beautiful, a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. So she was so gorgeous that word spread so fast to the highest places. And then Abram actually lied about her being his wife and said she's his sister out of fear of what, Abram, what the Pharaoh would do to him. And then later he came clear with that. But she was a beautiful woman. In Samuel 9.2, we find a man described as just standing above and beyond the, the other men of Israel when Saul is picked to be the first king of Israel. It is said in 1 Sam 9.2 that he had a son named Saul, an impressive young man, without equal among the Israelites, a head taller than any of the others. Kind of like Nikolai down here in the front row. A head taller and just a little handsomer than the rest of us. You know, a shoulder wider. That's how Saul was described. So beauty isn't just used to describe women in scripture, but, but a man in this case. There's a couple of others. Rachel, uh, Jacob's wife, was described in Genesis as lovely in form and beauty. I love that. She was lovely in form and beauty. Men, I just want to encourage you. You say that to your wife once a day, and I can just promise good results. Well, honey, you are lovely in form and beauty. I, try it out. I'm telling you. I have. It's good. And then there's the story of Esther, a whole book dedicated to the story of a beautiful woman called Esther, a Jewish girl who grew up in Persia. And that whole story is really fascinating. It's almost like uh, uh, it inspired the show Bachelor. Because, uh, because, now, this is the royal edition of the Bachelor in Persia. The king of Persia wasn't exactly a bachelor anymore, but he, he, uh, he felt he had more room to grow his group of women. And, and so he actually had a competition to find the most beautiful woman in his kingdom. And Mordecai, Esther's uncle, um, who raised her, encouraged her to participate in it, and she won. And she was described in Esther that this girl, who was also known as Esther, was lovely in form and features. Again, describing uh, her as, as beautiful and recognizing that. And then there is a whole book in the Old Testament called Song of Solomon dedicated to describing a husband's discovery of his wife's beauty in her body. It, uh, no, if you have not read the Bible much, this might not be a good place to start, but, you, but I would read it sometimes. Seriously, it might change your whole, your whole idea and picture of the Bible. It's definitely R-rated. But let me just say again, it's, it's in the context of a husband discovering the beauty of his wife's body. It is, it is really fascinating. Read that sometime. So I think all that to say, the Bible recognizes physical beauty, although it is clearly put into perspective, and we will talk about that. But all that to say, there's nothing inherently wrong with us having a desire, I believe, to look good, and, and a desire for beauty and an enjoyment in that. It's natural for, for us to want to be attractive and pay attention to the way we look and, and the shape that we're in. 
First Corinthians 6.19 talks about our body. We don't need it up on the screen. It talks about our body being the temple of God, that we actually are the place that God lives in. Now, I just want to explain that a little bit with, with the, the temple in Jerusalem and what that meant to the, to the Israelites. The temple was the place where God actually dwelt before Jesus. Now, through Jesus, God lives in us. But before that, the temple was the, the center of worship. It was where God's presence actually lived. And so people, to engage with God and worship him, had to come to the temple to do that. And the temple, therefore, had incredible value to the Jews. And they... they, they cared for it. They kept it good looking and, and neat and clean and maintained it well. Well, now the temple isn't the center of worship anymore. God says that now if you have accepted Jesus into your life, you become the house that God lives in. And, and in, in Corinthians here, this, this passage is in the context of sexual morality, but nonetheless, it gives us a principle that our body, what we have been given, if you are a follower of Jesus, God lives in you. And you, with your, with your life, with your, the entirety of your life, you represent God. That means we are to care for our body. It definitely does not mean the better you look by the world standards, the better you represent God. See, that's, that's where we need to make the disconnect here. But our body is the temple of God and we're to care for it. See, the problem with, with beauty... It was really the same last week with success. Success in itself and the desire for success isn't bad. Beauty in itself isn't bad. The desire for beauty isn't bad. The problem is when it goes out of proportion. The problem is excess. The problem is pursuit of beauty independent of our pursuit of God. That is the problem. And as I look at our culture, it seems like Actually, it seems pretty obvious to me that we have gone off that edge of what's healthy, that we have gone overboard. Because it's come to the point, I think, for for a lot of us, where looks become what define us, where looks are so important that it defines how people view you, that your looks become so important that it determines how you value yourself. And that couldn't be further from the truth as we look at what scripture has to say about beauty. You know, again, our culture, 8 million spend alone in this country on beauty. Utah, the state of Utah, this really surprised me, has the highest per capita um, for plastic surgery. Now, again, I don't want to just say, well, plastic surgery is all bad, but it shows in the, in the amount of, of, of it taking place and the way it is promoted that there's something going on in our culture where we are dissatisfied with where we're at, where we're not satisfied with who or how God made us. It seems like we have a whole, our whole um, economy almost is built around the fact of making us unsatisfied and, and telling us you're not good enough, you need this or you need that. A lot of our entertainment industry is built around that. And we're bombarded with a standard of beauty and, and, um, and attractiveness that is impossible for you and me, for the average show to live up to. So we live in a perpetual state of dissatisfaction with who and how God made us. That's a problem. I just was made aware this last weekend, I think it was Friday night, somebody told me, I was telling them about the message for Sunday, and they said, man, have you watched this show on TLC? And it wasn't talking about sister wives. It was talking about a show called Toddlers and Tiaras. Has anyone seen that? Has anyone seen that without getting sick to their stomach? I don't want, I, again, hear me clear, I don't want to just say, 
beauty pageants are bad. What this show is about, it's about little toddler girls, beautiful little girls, three, four, five, six-year-olds, a little older even, going into these hardcore beauty pageants. And it's not just, okay, here, walk up there, pretty, pretty little girl. What they do is they, they give these girls wigs. You know why? Because their hair apparently isn't pretty enough. They give them fake teeth that look like adult teeth that they put over their little, their little milk teeth to have smiles like a 20-year-old. Why? Because their teeth apparently aren't pretty enough. They get spray-on tans. A little four-year-old in the shower getting a spray-on tan because the complexion that God gave her apparently wasn't good enough. Just watching it broke my heart. Because what message are we sending about what's valuable? These are pretty little girls that hear from the earliest age, what you have isn't good enough. Do you think we've gone overboard? We have gone overboard. And our idea of what's beautiful and attractive just is so warped. So it is a big issue. It, it consumes a lot of us. The question is again, why is it such an important issue? Why is it so important to us how we look? I think it's mostly about what do others think about me as the result of how I look? It's, it's, I don't think for, for, for the most of us it is, oh, I just want to be satisfied with how I look. It has to do with what do other people think about me? I think at the very center of it is our deep, deep desire to be accepted and to be loved by people. And somehow we feel that we need to put on a facade to accomplish it, and that we're, we'll be, we become willing to do almost anything to accomplish that acceptance and love by other people. And that looks different in different cultural settings. There's different standards of what, what is attractive and what isn't. But we're willing to go there and to do what is necessary. And one reason is probably because all of us have experienced being judged by our appearance. And so if people do that to us, then the natural tendency is for us to do that to others. And I can only imagine how many of you are sitting there today with deep, deep wounds because of comments that people have made about the way you look. Maybe a long, long time ago. Maybe last week, maybe even this morning. It's important to us, isn't it? We want to be accepted and loved. I want to share a story with you from the Bible where looks seem to be very important and then God put his spin on things. It has to do with Saul. I mentioned Saul earlier, the first king of Israel who was chosen for his statue and being a head taller than the rest and just having a commanding presence that seemed like good criteria. Well, that didn't work out so well. If you read the book of Samuel, you'll find that Saul became so self-absorbed in his position, that God said to Samuel, who was the prophet at the time, said, Samuel, it's time for a change. This is not working out. He is not living in the way that I want him to live. He's not obedient to me. We need a new king. And he sends him to the household of a guy called Jesse. It says, Jesse has a son who's going to be the next king. And so Samuel, apparently, if, we, if I read this right, goes there with a certain preconception that, man, it's it's got to be the oldest son, the tallest, strongest son in here. This, you know, this was very hierarchical thinking at the time. And so he goes to Jesse's house, perfectly expecting the oldest son of Jesse 
is going to probably be the next king of Israel. And then God says to Samuel in 1 Samuel verse 16, chapter 16, verse 7. The Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So he tells him, Sam, Samuel, let's not make that same mistake again. Let's not look at his height and his statue and his position and, and his looks. You guys look at that. I, that's important to you. It is not important to me is what God says here. Something else is of absolute priority to me. And that is a person's heart. What is in their heart? Are they willing to submit to me? And so he goes through the sons of Jesse. First one, isn't it? God tells him, no, that's not him. He says, oh, surely the second one's got to be. God says, no, that's not him. He goes through all the sons that are there. And he goes, none of them? Seriously? Who is it? And he says, is there another one? There's got to be another son here. None of, none of you guys is, is the next king. <clears throat> they say, well, kind of as an afterthought. Well, th- there's David, little David. <laughs> he's, he's out watching the sheep. Well, let's go through this list again. No, no, let's bring, and they bring David in. The youngest of the, of the group, the shepherd, who's doing the lowly tasks, plays his harp and writes songs, and he's the one. And he's the one that we later read about, that he was a man after what? After God's own heart. I don't know how handsome he was. His sculpture in Rome or Florence, where this sure looks handsome, I don't know. But you see, that wasn't important to God. I think they could cover him a little bit, but... Um, <laughs> But you see, that wasn't God's criteria. This is probably how we imagine him now because he was king of Israel. It's our outward focused mentality. But God looked at David's heart and he knew David's going to make mistakes. He's going to fall into temptation. But he will love me with all of his heart. And because of that beauty, I'm choosing him to be my leader for my people. That is God's standard for beauty. And this was a cultural re- revolution for even for Samuel, I believe, who thought, man, it's, it's got to be the oldest, strongest, tallest, biggest. No, it's the biggest heart that counts, the heart that is committed to God. See, our problem is that just like what God says to Samuel, that we look at the outward appearance. When we look for leaders, even within church, we, we often look for leadership abilities and, and skill and, and communication skills. Man, what we need to look at is God, lead us to people that have the right heart for you. See, I think for us to, to understand this, that God looks at the heart, we need to believe what God says is true about us. See, I think the key to to being able to look at the heart and not our own appearance is that we come to the point where we understand that God accepts us on the basis of our heart and not of our appearance. And here I want to share a few things with you that God says in his word are true about you. They are true. And if we would really understand these to be true, if we would really believe these to be true, I think we would be so set free to be content and free in who God created us to be and how he created us, understanding that he didn't make mistakes. So here, here are some, I'm not going to give you all the references. Just take my word for it from now. In Ephesians, it says that you are his workmanship. 
You, every single one of you, are God's workmanship. Any of you ever created anything with your hands? Maybe some of you guys are tool people and you, you've built furniture or something else, maybe craft. Anyone ever done anything, produced anything with your hands? They, it really almost doesn't matter how pretty it turns out, isn't it? it it's, just, it's just, wow, I did this. And there's a sense of pride in that, isn't there? I'm not real handy, so I don't have this feeling often, but I hang up a window, I hang up a, a, a picture and I think, yeah, I did that, honey. <laughs> yeah. Hey, this is how God feels about you. I made him. I made her. And I'm proud of her. And I'm proud of him. Because he or she is exactly the way I wanted her. It doesn't matter if your culture, if your surroundings tells you that, if they confirm that. The God of the universe tells you in his word, and he's telling you today, I made you just the way you are. And I don't make mistakes. And I'm proud of you. Live in that confidence. He's telling you today, and he's telling you in your word, that you are wonderfully and fearfully made. He carefully crafted you, thought of you, thought of a plan for you, and then made you accordingly. No mistakes. You're fearfully, wonderfully made, predetermined, premeditated. That is you. You are accepted just as you are. God accepts you just the way you are sitting in your chair today. He will accept you with open hands. Now, I'll tell you, he, he loves us and accepts us just the way we are, but he loves us too much to leave us this way. He knows that our heart needs changing. And that's what he wants to do. But he will accept you just the way you are here today. He forgives you just the way you are here today. No matter what you walked in here with, no matter what baggage you brought, he loves you just the way you are here today. So he's forgiven you and he loves you. And none of these things, and we could go on and on of what scripture says is true about you, none of it has anything to do with how you look because that is not important to God. That's background noise. And we just make it front noise. There's another story in the Bible I want to tell you quickly about a man who was not very attractive, was probably experienced rejection because of that probably all his life. His name is Zacchaeus. He was a very tiny man. He said, you know the song about Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man. He was wee little, okay? Wee little. And like here maybe, I don't know. So probably, so I'm, I'm imagining, knowing our culture and how we are with people and how mean we can be with people based on, on their appearance, he probably grew up not, not experiencing a lot of acceptance, being made fun of because of his height. He grew into a pretty bitter man, a man who felt the need to, to betray and be, be uh, dishonest with people to, to enrich himself through taxes. So he got even more rejected for that, for, for ripping people off. There's nothing lovable about him in his own eyes. He hears of Jesus coming to his town and he feels so unlovable and unacceptable that he doesn't even dare to go to where all the people are waiting, but he climbs up in a tree so he can see Jesus. He just wants to see him, not expecting anything. And so Jesus comes to where all the good religious people are all dressed up and all nice and neat and ready to, to welcome him and, and, and host him. And he goes, no, guys, I, I don't care 
who you pretend to be. I don't care what you look like and if you seem to have it all together. He goes, Zacchaeus, I'm hanging out with you today. And he goes into Zacchaeus' house and for the first time maybe, Zacchaeus, well, for the first time he experiences this from God. God accepting him and loving him just the way he is and was made and right where he was at. And experiencing that unconditional love that Jesus showed him and the acceptance and forgiveness he gave him set Zacchaeus free to, be, to go from a, a, a man who rips people off and betrays them to being set free to be who God created him to be, to accept who he was and to set right the things he did wrong. See, and it's that, that freedom to be who God created you to be that he wants you to experience through experiencing God's love acceptance as opposed to people's love and acceptance. You know, when you, um, when you see pictures of Jesus, you know, sometimes you go around you see you know, paintings of what people think Jesus looks like or sculptures, right? You've seen those. What does he look like? Say it again. He looks handsome, right? Sometimes a little bit like the Dosekis man, you know, the, the rugged, rugged, good-looking, bearded man. And then at times, there's this, this soft, he's depicted at this, this very soft-spoken, but always good-looking, right? Have you ever seen an ugly picture of Jesus? I mean, even after he got battered and beaten on the cross, he still looks really pretty and radiant, right? Well, you know that the Bible actually tells us about his appearance? In, in Isaiah 53, which is a, a passage that is, is prophetic of Jesus, it tells us about his sacrifice on the cross, him being pierced, and that we are healed by his, by his wounds. It talks about his appearance. In Isaiah 53, verse 2, it says, He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. This is prophetic word about Jesus and his appearance. Again, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that should desire him. Apparently, if I'm reading this right, Jesus' physical appearance was not an attractive one. People wouldn't go, wow, now that's a handsome man. So physically attraction, physical attraction apparently wasn't, wasn't there. Now, was he an attractive person? Did he attract people to him? So the question is, what is it? What attracted people to him if it wasn't his looks? I think we find the secret to that in John chapter 13. I want to read that to you. I, I forgot to submit this scripture to our producer, so it's not on the screen. But I'm going to read it for you. If you have your Bible with you, open up the, the Gospel of John, chapter 13. And I'm going to read verses 3 to 5. This is, the setting is, um, they're at the table, him and his disciples in the upper room, the last supper, the last meal they're celebrating together. And this is what it says. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took out his outer clothing and wrapped a, a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And you're thinking, what on earth does that have to do with anything we're talking about? Well, I will tell you. In verse 3, it talks about Jesus knowing exactly who he is. 
says he understands, he knows that God has given him all authority and all power. He knows he comes from God. He knows his origin. He knows he's going to God. He knows his destination because of that. He knows his mission and his purpose right here and now. He knows what he came for. He knows what he came to do. Understanding that. So he had a proper understanding of who he was in relation to God the Father. Of what his purpose was and what his, his future was. In light of that, it says, because of that, he got up from the meal, took out his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around himself, and began to wash his disciples' feet. So this is what's happening here. Because Jesus knows that the Father loves him, that he sent him to do something, that he's waiting for his return, he knows his eternal future, it sets him free to not care about what people think about him. See, what he's doing here is he's putting himself into the position of the lowest servant in that setting. In, in that culture, when, when a group of people got together for a meal, they knew the person that was lowest on the food chain, lowest social status, the lowest servant would have to get down on, on his knees and clean the guest's feet and, and, and literally peel the dirt out from beneath it, between their toes. The disciples knew that. They're all there, all 12 None of them get up. I say, well, well, surely someone else will do this. Actually, they're talking about who's the greatest among them on the way to this meal. And here's Jesus, the Son of God, who knows who he is, is secure and content in that, makes himself nothing. The servant of his disciples and washes their feet. See, that is freedom. That is freedom in knowing who you are and not caring what it looks like. And that is what God wants for you and me. Jesus didn't need people's approval of his looks. He knew who he was. He knew where he came from. And he knew where he was going. And he was secure in knowing that the Father loved him first and foremost. I'm going to read one more verse to you. And it's from 1 John chapter 4.16. I believe we have that on the screen. Says this, says, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in, in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Have you ever been around somebody who just knew? who they were, who was very secure and confident in, in who they were and who God made them, what their role is and their purpose? Have you been around people like that? I have, and my experience is that no matter what they actually look like, they're unbelievably attractive people to be around because there is a peace in, in people knowing who they are, knowing in who God made them, knowing that God loves them and that that is what defines them, not what other people think about them but what God says and feels about them. There's unbelievable peace and, and confidence in that. That's what Jesus knew, and that's what God wants you to know and experience. He wants you to know and experience and engage with his perfect, unconditional, sacrificial, unending love for you that he showed you through Jesus. What else could God do to show you that he's absolutely committed to you and loves you than give his life for you?
And allows his love to change your heart into a heart after, after God's own heart. I want to ask the band to come up as, as we close here. See, God doesn't look at the appearance. He looks at your heart. And when he looks at your heart, he knows that your heart needs his healing. Even if you've already accepted him into your heart, there, there is continued healing that he wants to give you. And it can only happen through continuing to discover and understand his love for you. And he's offering that love to you today. And I want to encourage you to really open yourself up to that love to really engage with him, to really give him an opportunity to pour out that love to you this morning even. As we, as we will sing together now and, and express our love and devotion to him and our worship to him, it's, it's not supposed to be just one directional. God wants to respond to that by, by pouring out his love to you. And I just want to encourage you to go into this time of, of singing and worship, just opening your heart and say, God, this is really true, would you please allow me to experience that love, that love that will set me free. And I guarantee you, because his word guarantees it, that he will pour his love into your heart and that he will change your heart from the inside out. Let's worship together.